Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. This is the Mark Boris Podcast. Oh, good morning. Here I am again at Studio X, uh, looking down at Times Square. Oh, actually, pardon me, it's William Street, but one could be forgiven for things Times Square. At least it's my Times Square. Um, And I'm happy to be here. We had a tremendous response uh, on my last podcast in relation to... uh, me giving out on the Shark Tank. Um, let's just get this straight. Um, I hear the Shark Tank and or Channel 10 are pretty unhappy with me, but that's life. And by the way, I just gave them a bit of oxygen and everyone's talking about them, so uh, get real. They should be actually happy with me because I'm giving them some oxygen. Um, prior to that, no, there was no oxygen. No one was talking about them. So maybe 50% of the people agree with me, 50% of the people disagree with me, they love the show, good luck to them. Shark Tank, uh, don't get too weird about uh, someone talking about you. Now, in relation to the responses, it goes to show me there is a large percentage of the entrepreneurs in this country and the SMEs, the small business owners in this country, who think Shark Tank is a crock of shit because they are basically not sitting there and encouraging Australian businesses and entrepreneurs as to how they should be doing their business. And I have so many emails and so many tweets from people who follow me and so many new people following me now and people just saying, well done, congratulating me. Well, don't congratulate me. I just express an opinion that all of you guys have anyway. So congratulate yourselves. It's the same opinion. I'm in small business. You're in small business. We all have a common denominator and that is it's tough out there and it's about time someone actually got off their ass and said something about it. That's what it's about. Look, I even got, I even got emails from politicians or chief of staff of politicians sort of thinking that I was having a crack at them. Let's get it clear. Politicians, and, you know, I'm a big fan of Bruce Bilson. He's the Minister of Parliament who's responsible for small business at a federal level. I'm a big fan of the guy. He gets off his ass and he gets out there and he's always rattling the tin and trying to do the right thing by small business. But it's not him. It's got to be a bigger portfolio. So, you know, if you want to be fair income, federal government and opposition... Make small business portfolio a senior portfolio. Put it up there next door to Treasury. Put it up there next door to Defence because that's where it's got to be. That's where it should be. And at that point, all the rattling that Bruce can do will actually have a far bigger effect in this country. Bruce, I'm having a go at the system. I'm having a go at this government, previous governments and all governments. And I really do hope you do something in the budget next week. And I hope that's a good start. 
but we need to build. And my message to government is make small business a senior portfolio to make sure small business in itself is properly represented in our system. Now, I'm going to talk a little bit later about uh, how you can get on to the, uh, making a pitch to me. Um, I'm going to do a pitch on my podcast. It's going to be filmed and we're going to put it up. So I'm going to tell you a bit later how that all, all, all that happens. Okay, let's get on with stuff now. This week's top five. First up, let's take a look at the week's top five, of course. Um, we had the Reserve Bank met yesterday. The uh, bureaucracy within the Reserve Bank put up their recommendations to the various members of the board of the Reserve Bank, including the Governor of the Reserve Bank, um, Stevens. Uh, the outcome was that there was an interest rate reduction. It's pretty important. That's really important. An interest rate reduction from 2.25% to 2% is the lowest official rate interest that I that has ever existed since I've been born, and I've been around a long time. So that is a phenomenon in itself. And a lot of people are jumping up and down from the rafters and uh, sort of uh, saying how wonderful it is. You've got to have a look behind it. Why is it wonderful? I mean, sure, your mortgage rate's going to go down, but we've got to look at why is it wonderful? Is it really wonderful or is it an omen for deeper issues and deeper problems within the Australian economy. So, global economy. Um, just on the side, there's a UK election being held tomorrow. It'll be interesting to see the effect on its economy and any flow on from the UK's election into the EU. You know, that's a probably a broad sweeping uh, effect in relation to us. I don't really think it's got much to do with us, but it's worthwhile noting it and having a look at it. Commodity prices falling... Commodity prices, they're continuing to fall. It's continuing to cause a problem. It was noted by the Reserve Bank Governor in his speech yesterday. Um, it's creating the closing down of mines across Australia, apart from the lack of expenditure from those mines and creating new mines and creating roads and infrastructure to go around it. So we're getting more people losing jobs as a result of mines being closed down. It's a big deal and partly contributes to the unemployment numbers that we have at the moment. One of the consequences of there being of the smaller mines, by the way, which are small business people, the smaller miners having to close down, is that it no longer is viable for them to produce a particular resource, dig it out of the ground, at the cost of producing it because the price of what they can sell it for is starting to go below the cost. So in other words, it's no longer viable. Now, what does that mean overall? What that means overall, though, is that those organisations, those huge organisations like BHP and Rio, who have massive capacity and massive mines, can still afford to sell at the lower price because their cost of production is spread over a far greater revenue number for a far greater output, which means that over time, the big guys will get bigger and bigger and bigger and they'll keep selling at the lower and lower and lower price and they'll outproduce the smaller guys such that the smaller guys will go out of business and then when pricing starts to increase again, in other words, the prices of commodity go up, the big guys can start to do whatever they like with the pricing. They can start to charge steel mills, whatever price they like. So in other words, it gives them a monopoly. Inflation remains very low. The Reserve Bank says it's within their band of 2 to 5, actually it's way, 2 to 3%, I should say, but it's way below. It's at one3 that's its sort of um, annualised rate. That's really low. That basically means there is low aggregate demand for goods and services in this country, which means no one can put their prices up. 
and that's going right back to the very point I just made before. Um, you know, if the price is the low and you can't produce or buy that good that you need to sell at a price above the sale price, then you've got a problem, you're going to close down your business. Unemployment sits where we talked about last week, 6.1. Australian com- economy, well, overall, there must be a problem. You don't get record low official rates of interest if the economy is in great shape. End of story. That's it. That's all you need to know. Might be good for your mortgage because, you know, some of the banks are going to reduce their rates. I noticed that last night the Commonwealth Bank decided not to pass on the whole 0.25%. They only passed on 0.2%. ANZ passed on the whole 0.25%. Let's wait for the other three banks um, to uh, decide what they're going to do. That is NAB, Westpac and Macquarie, who, are the, who make up the big five, and see what the outcome is, see who passed on the full 25 basis points to everybody. You know, it could be an omen to come because some of the bank shares got whacked in the last couple of weeks because they are starting to say that um, their their credit numbers, in other words, the amount of money they're lending is starting to wane a bit and, um, you know, markets are starting to flatten out a bit. So that might be a reason why it's an opportunity for them to take back more basis points every time the Reserve Bank puts down rates. Now, what's interesting about that is if the Reserve Bank puts down rates by 0.25 and the CBA doesn't follow. In other words, the old convention is whatever the Reserve Bank reduced the rates by, the banks reduce their, their rate by. If the major banks are so powerful that they don't have to do what the Reserve Bank is seeking them to do, then actually what that does is puts a negative effect on the Reserve Bank's weapon against low GDP, low, low growth. The Reserve Bank's weapon is reduce the interest rates to stimulate the economy. If the big banks thumb their nose at that and only go down by 20 basis points instead of the whole 25 basis points, it dilutes the Reserve Bank's effect. That's an important thing to think about. And there's a new convention that's been existing four or five years. That would never have happened 10 years ago. No way would someone not reduce by exactly what the Reserve Bank reduced. Now the big banks are so powerful that they don't even have to do what the Reserve Bank does. That's an important point. Mark, uh, Joe Hockey off the back of the interest rate announcement yesterday came out and said, now is a great time to go out, borrow, spend, spend, spend. You're telling us really that this is an indicator that the economy is not in good shape. So what do you make of Hockey's comments? Um, Well, that's because that's what Hockey would like to happen. Hockey wants to get the gross domestic product up by our spending more. And and that's what the Reserve Bank wants to do too. Um, And and I understand that at a, a top level, but Australians aren't wood ducks. You know, uh, whilst we work out that this is a great opportunity for us to get a lower mortgage rate, for example, to pay, uh, which means our payments are less every month, what Australians have worked out, and we're one of the most sophisticated countries in the world when it comes to this, instead of spending money like a drunken sailor, what I'm going to do is I'm going to pay my mortgage down faster. So if you look at the behaviour of Australian mortgage market, <clears throat> excuse me, over the last four or five years, you'll notice that the level or the percentages of Australians who are ahead of their schedule on their mortgage payments has increased dramatically compared to where it was for the 10 years prior. I don't know, I can't remember exactly the the numbers, but it's something like 50% of Australians who hold a mortgage or 50% of those Australians who have a mortgage are at least two years ahead of their scheduled repayments, which means that instead of every time the interest rates go down, they just reduce the amount they've got to pay every month, they keep paying at the higher rate because they know 
that they can pay their loan off faster. They don't want to be paying someone back for 30 years. They want to pay them back over 15 years. So Australians aren't spending the money at shops or on holidays or upgrades or whatever. The two places they're going is investments, renovating their house, which is a sensible thing, and paying the house off faster. So, you know, we, they can be encouraged as much as um, any politician would like to encourage them. As I said, Australians are not wood ducks and... Uh, They've worked out the most effective way is to pay off their home faster with any excess money they have. That's another problem for the Reserve Bank. Entrepreneurs Inside. Well, just last night when we were doing the precursor to the show, you and I having a chat about things, um, we were talking about this concept, what is a small business? So I, I just wanted to share with everybody what my view is about a small business. Um, and I might, I'm not a... Maybe it's not a conventional view, but I think it's a logical view. So I look at a business sector, a sector of the economy. Let's call it um, mining, for example. And so who is a small business in that environment? So in order to answer who is a small business, a small business to me is all those other people who are not the large business. So... Who are the large businesses? The large businesses are those people who have pricing power and have production capacity and maybe are sitting there with some sort of licence that a government may have granted. But in the mining industry, it's not likely to be a licence. It's more about production power, balance sheet and pricing power. So clearly, Rio and BHP, two good examples of big businesses. Now, they have pricing power because they have market share. They dominate the market. Now, I don't know what exactly the numbers are. Let's say they dominate 70% of the market. In other words, 70% of all iron ore sent over to wherever it's being sent over to overseas is produced, taken out of the ground um, and packaged up and sent by either BHP or Rio or or both. That, therefore, it says to me that the rest of the market who participate in that 30% are what I call small businesses. So, therefore, Gina Reinhart, as rich as she is, in my view, as a small business person. And I think she would accept that. She would recognise that. Therefore, Gina Reinhardt is up against those who dominate the market and control the market. Now, I don't think we should be looking at people just because they're wealthy that they represent big business because they don't. Yeah, relative to someone who's running a corner store, yeah, Gina Reinhardt definitely is a big business person, but she's not big business in her environment. In her environment, she's a small business owner and therefore she has to employ all the attributes of a small business owner in order to take market share from the big business guys. And it's a really important distinction. I think the same applies in the banking industry. So my business, Yellow Brick Road, I see that we're a big business worth a couple hundred million, but we are relative to the banks who are worth hundreds of billions. We are a small business because they dominate and they have um, pricing power and they have market power in my market. So the same applies everywhere. So let's go down to the... uh, Another environment, let's say Coles and Woolworths, as against all other retailers, they are big business. They dominate and control the market. And interestingly enough, in retail, they're not only dominate and control the market in their segment, that is shop fronts, in other words, a Coles supermarket or a Woolworths supermarket definitely dominates all the little uh, you know, shops on the strip who might be selling groceries or whatever they're selling, apples, oranges, you know, butchers, bakers, all that sort of stuff. But they dominate vertically in both directions. So what they do is actually more pervasive than what the banks do 
and what the miners do. They actually go up the chain and down the chain. So they own all the retail outlets. They own liquor stores. They own service stations. They So every possible retail outlet they are in touch with. And then in terms of the supply of the product, they apply their market power all the way down, right down to the very bottom of the of the chain. That is the person produces the wheat, that produces the flour, that produces the cornflakes or the bread that you eat, that you buy from their from their store. So they are extraordinarily dominant, extraordinarily dominant. So everybody who competes with them is a small business, and everyone who supplies them is a small business, in my my view. So that is how I want to um, categorize small business versus big business. In other words. Market power, pricing power, balance sheet equals big business and the rest of the market is small business. So do you think that makes sense to you? It does, it does. So so what you're saying is that there has actually been a massive shift in the structural economy. That's why we're not seeing a lot of strip shopping anymore where we as consumers are picking convenience. So we're going to Coles, we're going to Woolies, we're ignoring the bakers and that's why they're closing down. Yeah, and I'd like to call that the lowest common denominator. I actually think convenience is a result or the argument for convenience that I, I want to go to Coles or Woolworths is as a result of not having thought this through well. Now, I'm not having a go at people. I, I just want to, but this is, you know, something I, it's been in my mind and I want to express it, what I mean by this. It's easy to say, oh, look, it's just more convenient to go to Coles or Woolworths because everything's in there. I can park my car, I can get out of the car, I can go there. Look, suburbs, suburbs in Australia have higher prices for real estate because the argument by the real estate agents, which is one of the convenience, by the way, is look, oh yeah, there, there's an there's amenity there because there's a Coles or Woolworths there, or both. And immediately people say, oh yeah, yeah, there, oh, yeah, I get that. There's amenity. There's a Coles or Woolworths. Okay, I'll pay more money for that house. I'll pay less money for down the road. To be frank with you, I'd rather rather pay more money for the house that's nowhere near Coles or Woolworths because I don't want to be near traffic. I don't want to be near a shopping centre. Um, I'd like to have a nice, quiet life, and I'd rather have my property somewhere. So I'd actually pay more. But it's, it's counterintuitive because that's not what's happening, which is fucked as far as I'm concerned. Like the, the world is thinking on its head. Um, why would you pay more to be near a massive shopping centre of, you know, 5,000 square metres of shops and, you know, 10 levels of car park I mean, and traffic and people riding around with trolleys and it's mental. I mean, the, 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 the energy you get out of it is not cool. It's not where you want to be living. But anyway, so be it. But the argument from real estate point of view is, oh, look, it's very, very convenient. It's easy. And to me, I call that the lowest common denominator. And the why in thinking, the lowest common denominator in thinking is that, okay, let's think this through for a second. One, if I did a time motion study of this so-called convenience of going to a big store to do all my shopping, um, I should include the following variables. One, how much stress and how much energy do I expend in going to park my car and finding a car space when it's busy. Two, how much energy do I spend from walking from that car space all the way into the shop and then and then doing my shopping in that environment on the basis, on the assumption that I'm actually buying stuff cheaper than I would do if I went to the local corner store or one of the strip shops. Once I've piled up my trolley, how many of those things... Do, do I did I not really need? Because the process of walking down all the aisles is such that, I mean, some people are pretty good at this, but generally speaking, and the process is that I just walk down the aisles, oh, yeah, how? I should have get that. Yeah, I've got to get that. You know, some people walk in a list. 
They get, always get the list, but they get other stuff. I mean, how often does that happen to you? Because, you know, the old way was you went down to the shop. My mother sent me down the shop down the corner when I was a kid in Punchbowl. We needed meat, I went down and got the meat. If we needed yoga, I went down the street and got yoga. If we needed apples or oranges, I went down the street and got oh, apples or oranges. These days you walk into the supermarket is, is that the game is what they want you to do is be uh, selected to buy all the stuff that's on special and you, buy, you end up coming out with stuff you don't even need and you end up throwing half of it away. So in terms of another variable of working out the efficiency of what you're doing and is it really more convenient, uh, should be measured by how much more stuff you're actually buying that you don't need. So this is – and this time motion study and probably a cost of cost efficiency study, every one of us could do it. It would be actually quite an interesting exercise to do this. So bottom line is actually do I save any time? Do I save energy, personal energy in terms of what I'm doing? And do I save money? I, I don't know – I don't think any of us really know the answer to that. I, I, don't, I really don't think and, – and I also don't think that, you know, if you go to, if you go to Woolworths in Byron Bay, you pay more – um, per item than you do if you go to Woolworths in uh, Blacktown. So we've got to bring that into it too because they're, they're not equivalent stores. They're not equivalent pricing. The pricing is fungible. It changes around depending on where Woolworths or Coles think they can get a bigger price. And by the way, that's what you do if you are in a structural environment to do that. The structure allows our big retailers to do these things. Therefore, they do them as they should do them because they've got to do the, the best thing for their shareholders. They've got to get the best return. In order to get the best return for the shareholders, which is their objective, they've got to get the best that the structure allows them to do. So the structure allows them to price variably as, as they feel like it, as, as the demand allows them to, which is normal market pricing. That's how it works. So us, as consumers, allowing this structure to exist, and the reason we're allowing this structure to exist is because guess what we say? It's all, but just more convenient. And we've got to think about then overall as well. So, so I just gave you a, a, a micro-analysis, how it is, you know, me shopping in a strip, a strip of shops versus me shopping at a big store that has everything. There is also a macro view, a view, overall view we have to take. So the reason big stores work as a business in their own business model is because they can achieve what we call economies of scale. So a big store needs one store manager, it needs one property manager, it needs um, um, uh, one amenities manager, in other words, one maintenance guy, to cover a baker, a butcher, a fruiterer, the grocery items, and every other thing that Woolworths or Coles might sell. Whereas 10 stores, 10 strip shops, say one one butcher shop here, one baker here, and et cetera, all next door to each other, they need nearly 10 times the resources. So they are much more inefficient relative to the big store. Now, in, the reason they're inefficient is because they're required, they are required to employ more people. But guess what? Employing more people is a good thing because our economy, I just told you about what the Reserve Bank's talking about, about unemployment numbers. My view is part of the unemployment numbers today, the growth in unemployment numbers today, is to some extent being caused by the structure of our country, our economy. And the structure of our economy is the big guys are bigger and the small guys are going out of business. And small guys are the ones who employ everybody. I said it many weeks ago, you know, small businesses in this country employ 60% of the population. So by definition, mathematically, get rid of the number of small businesses. The number of small businesses go out of business because they no longer can compete against the big businesses. They will also at the same time be firing people because the big businesses are much more efficient because they have this ability to spread their costs, one cost across a multiple of disciplines within the store. That doesn't exist 
if you have strip shops. Strip shops have a, a different economic commercial structure. So it makes sense. Again, at a macro level, that needs to be considered before we just all as individuals jump to the lowest common denominator, oh, it's more convenient. And finally, you know, this one's sort of a little bit out there, but one of the things that I think culturally that's important about small businesses, I'm only talking about uh, retail right at the moment, but I think this applies across the board, is this. There is an experience we are no longer going to have. Maybe a lot of kids in 20 years, 30 years' time will never experience knowing the butcher and that cultural experience of talking to the butcher who's a, an old-school guy with the apron on and, you know, half a finger missing and, you know, blood all over the floor and, uh, you know, and, and, and kids seeing the butcher actually butcher something up and the butcher's saying, G'day, Johnny, how you going? I, you know, in knowing you and seeing you grow up and knowing what your family needs and then when you're in times, tough times actually making sure that they put a parcel of meat at your place because they've got some meat left over on a Saturday afternoon. That sort of neighbourhood community thing. So, look, you guys might think it doesn't mean anything, but it means a lot to me. And I think it's an – and what I mean by this is an experience and it's an experience that I think all our children should experience, should enjoy, should understand and should love. And as adults, I think it's an experience that I really enjoy. I mean, I still get it out of my cafe – um, but it's hard to get it from a butcher, although I've got a butcher I know I go to and he's, he's cool and, and I like that experience. Now, I'm not bagging Woolworths or Coles. Th- th- that's not their business model. That, they're not there to offer that experience. They're offered there to offer you so-called convenience. Um, but to be frank with you, from my point of view, when you look at all the macro issues and then you look at the micro issues and if you did a time motion study, and on top of that, I think the experience is actually worth missing out on the so-called convenience. That's my view. And by the way, that's great for small business owners. And by the way, that's great for the economy. And I think that's great for the unemployment number. Mark, would you would you ever pick service over a slight reduction in the quality of the product? So say for a cafe, for example, you had two cafes, one had great coffee, one the coffee was okay. Would you ever pick the okay coffee because you had much better service and an experience there? Yeah, coffee's about experiences. So specifically coffee is, um, but equally it depends what the variable the variation is. Like if it's like a massive difference, no. But if there's, you know, a little bit in it, I'll go for the experience of sitting and getting my cup of coffee because coffee is not about the taste of coffee. It is. It's slightly about the taste. But it's also about the nurturing and the event and, you know, it's the first thing you do in the morning and people remembering you and welcoming you and, you know, sort of, you know, actually wanting to have a chat to you about something. So coffee is a very important, intimate product and or let's call it service. I mean, it's, it's quite an intimate thing, Jess, and I think it's really important, the first coffee we have of the day. And there's a whole – I mean, I've ranted on about this sort of stuff in, in my speeches many times about coffee, but – and there's a lot of psychology around coffee um, that's really important to be understood. And maybe we can talk about it at some stage, and I'd like to talk about it. I mean, it's a bit out there, but, you know, so what? All this stuff's meant to be out there. Um, this, this is an opportunity for me to talk about stuff that's out there, I guess. Get it off my chest. Um, so – but I, I, I think service and experience, it's not just the service, Jess, it's actually the the total experience. You know, like kids learn about how to interact with people by going into the butcher. Today, kids do everything on the internet. They don't even buy a newspaper from the newspaper boy who walks down the street with a whistle, like when I was growing up. So I, I just worry that the structural change is actually changing our nature and who we are. And I don't care if it changes per se, but I just wish everybody could experience the sort of stuff I've experienced. You know, like all kids, 
or kids. And I think that's really important. And small business does that. And let's remember what small business is. It's those people having a punt, trying to take a market share away from big business. And I, that's why I was saying before, you know, the small business portfolio nationally should be elevated to a senior portfolio. It should be right up the top, right up the top there, right next door to the treasurer. They should, they should share an office, in my view, because it's so important to a, our nation. But, you know, chance of that happening, probably zero. Mark, you're not telling people not to shop at Coles or Woolies, but you want them to have a consciousness when they are shopping. If they have a choice to support an independent retailer, do it. Consciously, you're right. I'm not – yeah, correct. Because I go to Woolies and Coles. I mean, sometimes it's just quicker because I might be out the front of it and I don't, and I don't want to have to drive a little bit further down the road to go to the strip shops, which, which have been forced out of the way. I mean, I was talking to Nick, Nick the other day and Nick was telling me that – in an area where he lives in Sydney, that Coles have upgraded their facility and he noticed more recently that all the small strip shops that were surrounding there, which were doing very well selling retail things like, you know, there was a baker and there was a butcher and they've all closed down. So now Nick doesn't have a choice if he wants to go to the closest shopping area. He has to go to Coles and he can't go. So he has to drive a little bit further. So, yeah, like Nick, sometimes I will go to Coles Woolworths. Woolworths. There's nothing wrong with it, but I am conscious that I'm doing it. So it's a conscious decision. It's not a convenient decision. And I know that I'm sponsoring that store to create this environment or take away the environment of the experience that others will not be able to have. So I accept that. I know I'm contributing to it. But I'm just trying to raise awareness and consciousness. And that's what these podcasts are about. It's about having a chat about these, these things and drawing to people's attentions, attention the importance of being conscious and aware of structural change and we're the only ones who can do something about it. The government won't do something about it unless we make them do something about it. Don't know how that's going to happen. From Mark's Mind. Well, this is, what, what do you got me doing here? This is from Mark's Mind or something. What, what, what am I thinking about? No? I think you're thinking about uh, how much you've stirred the pot and how interested people are in this story. Uh, 100,000 people have read your story on news.com. Wow. I guess that's a big number, is it? It's massive. It's massive. So the average, the average hit's about 30,000. Okay, so obviously we hit a nerve. Um, and it, I, don't, I guess the nerve wasn't really relative to the shark tank. Um, the nerve is that um, lots of Australians, which is a good thing, um, want to be entrepreneurs and don't know what they're doing. They don't know who's encouraging them. They don't know how to go about it. Is that, is that sort of, I mean, what are the emails? And we got a lot of, I know I got a lot of emails. Like, and there were thousands. Thou- there were thousands of emails. And uh, I just couldn't get through them. Uh, I, I started reading them and I got tweets the same. Like I got hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people tweeting me. Like uh, it just kept going on and on and on. Like it's, st- it's still going on now. It was going on this morning. That was, this is like exactly one week ago. Um, obviously they liked the podcast, um, but they liked the content of the last podcast where we were talking about the importance of entrepreneurs and small business. So I guess that's um, a, a great signal to the government that there are people out there with energy and enthusiasm who want to do something. Um, it's a great um, testimony, testimony, to, testimony to Australians' entrepreneurial spirit. It's definitely not dead. And despite all the headwinds they have, I mean, the amount of things up against you about being an, of, for being an entrepreneur in this country are ridiculous particularly when I was just talking about before how who you're taking on. You're taking on the big guys, like super powerful people. Australians love to be the underdog. underdog. They love underdogs and they love to have a crack. So it's sort of renewed my enthusiasm for this topic. So on that basis, um, if everybody's going to be enthusiastic, we have to be enthusiastic. So we have to help these people and help them properly. 
And uh, I guess we've got to try and work out how we're going to do this because we definitely want to get some people in to the show. We want to film them and we want them, give them an opportunity to pitch to me um, and allow me then to ask them some questions. But we need to be able to cast these people and working out the casting process is sort of a bit of a task. I mean, I was thinking last night, you know, should we get a casting agency like we do for the Celebrity Apprentice? You know, we go out and get someone goes out and sort of um, throws out a wide net and gets people to come and pitch to them why they should be on the show. Um, or do we, or can we use electronic medium today such as YouTube? I think we mentioned this last week, didn't we? You, you, yeah, we did the idea of, of uploading it to YouTube and it's it's really straightforward, Mark. You know, I mean, if these guys really want to make this happen, then they'll be able to upload a video to YouTube. It's really straightforward. Well, why don't we do this, why don't we do this Jess? Why don't we actually send them a pack? So why don't we get people to say to us, come to us, if they come to us to the email address, what's the email address? Mark, mb at markboris.com.au. mb at markboris.com.au. So... They send it there in an email. So what do we need? We need we, well, as soon as they send us an email, we've got their email address, um, so we can send something back to them. Um, send us a, a short pitch about who you are. Like, what do we want to know? Who they are? What they do? What do yep. you reckon? What, what stage they're at in their business? I mean, some of the great questions in the emails that we that we got this week. Some people are saying, well, you know, how do I get my ideas off the ground? Uh, another woman who started a raw food business, she's quit her job, she's working out of her two-bedroom apartment and she needs a commercial facility. So we've got people at really different stages. I think what you need is two to three tight paragraphs about what your business is and what stage you're at because, you know, we, we, we do have some emails that are pages and pages and we, we don't have time to get through them all. But as you say, let's give them an opportunity. Let's Once we've received that, we'll send them out a, a, a pitch pack. Yeah, a pitch pack. Yeah, that's a good one. Pitch pack. A pitch pack being this is what we want you to cover off. You can do it however you like, whatever theatre you like. I mean, the more theatre, by the way, the more interesting it is because, by the way, I'm not going to be the only person who reads it. There'll be other people who look at this stuff. So make it interesting. Put a bit of theatre in there. Um, but there have got to be some basic elements in the pitch pack. So the first one should be what business are you in, which is the first question Kerry Packer asked me. Tell me what business you're in. Tell me what raw emotions that you are servicing and or providing to. Um, the next thing is, um, what do you want from me? Um, are, are you seeking mentorship or what do you want from someone in the marketplace? Are you seeking mentorship or you, do you need a loan to expand your business or do you need capital? In other words, someone to become a shareholder in your business or do you just want to tell everybody what you're doing, which, all of which are cool, but tell us what it is you want from us. Great. And, and maybe the proviso is it has to be in video form. It must be in video form. Yeah, it's got to be in video form. And we might tell them how you actually – look, there might even be something on there about how you put this up on YouTube. And let's just go right back to basics because not everybody's technologically sort of on track. Um, but, yeah, they might have a brilliant idea. I think most people have a smartphone these days. I mean, anyone who's in business or trying to get into business has to have a smartphone. So if you've got a smartphone, you can record a video on your phone and from your phone using the YouTube app, I did it last night as a test, uh, you can upload straight to YouTube. So really simple, but we will give people details because as you said, Mark, you know, someone might have a brilliant idea, but not be able to articulate and, and not even know the right questions to ask. Yeah. And, and that's sort of what our game is. Our game will be if... Our game will be to choose from all these um, submissions that get made to us each every two weeks a person to come in and pitch to us. Um, so I, that doesn't mean I can do everybody. Um, I, I just it just won't be possible. But what I'm trying to do here is create a 
an environment where other people can see what I say to whoever's uh, you know we choose, um, and maybe they can say, well, hey, yeah, they're the sort of questions that I need to be asked of me. Because like I definitely can't talk to everybody, um, but the game here is uh, not for anybody to be a winner. It's about me being able to put, build a big enough cross section of people who want to punt their product and or service up to the marketplace for others to be able to say, yeah, that's the same sort of business I'm in or something similar to me. And, oh, yeah, they're the questions that Boris needs to know or money people need to know, people who invest need to know or people lend money need to know or people who are just giving you, you know, helping you with your ideas need to know before you actually can proceed. So what we're trying to do is build a library, I guess, that people can consult of video interviews of various entrepreneurs and small business owners putting up a deal to me. That, that's sort of where we want to end up. It's not about me talking to everybody. It's just not, just not going to be possible. I don't have a big enough organisation. In this regard, we're a small business, very small business. We only started off with an idea two weeks ago ourselves. And uh, to some extent, if you're listening to this now, this is the sort of way you build businesses. You have someone to talk to and you throw ideas around and you know, maybe off the back of this, we end up with uh, having a business of uh, listening to people's pitch and helping them out. I mean, that could be where we end up. Um, and, and, you know, what's interesting about this is that's what business is about. Entrepreneuring is about having a go and just letting it flow and just seeing what drops out of it as you go along. You've got to not be too prescriptive as to what your outcome should be because you don't control all the environments around you and you just got to let it flow and just see what drops out or, and, and, you know, you say, okay, there's a nugget, I'll grab that one. And off the back of that, you build up. And that's sort of what we're doing at the moment. It's sort of freestyling it a little bit. Um, and because to be honest, with you, I don't really know exactly where this will end up. Um, but I just know it sounds like a good idea to me. And uh, I think something valuable will come out of it, whether it's for me or everybody. I don't know. I mean, but I'm willing to have a crack at it and have a go at it. And it's also cool. It's fun. So, where do we? So, in summary, um, people send to mb at marburus.com. Um, one, uh, they, they can seek a pitch pack if they want a pitch pack uh, as to how you get your stuff up on YouTube, but we know what their business purpose is. Um, we want to know uh, what they want from us. Um, I guess we also need to understand what research they've done. I think that's really important. Don't, don't say come to me and say, look, I've got a good idea. Research your market um, because that's an obvious question. You know, like, uh, will you tell me why the market, your market, whatever your market is, a, identify who your market is, who is your audience, and why is it they want something, and what research have you done around this? I mean, don't give me a survey of one, because a good idea is not a survey one. A good idea is some survey, a, bit, a broader survey. Um, so, you know, I, I need to sort of see what the biggest survey is. Um, a number of people have come up with good ideas. It's just, you know, a lot of times it just has no relevance to a marketplace or a market segment. Or if it's going to be a new market segment, Why? What are the basic needs you're fulfilling? Um, so they're sort of the main things. And let's try and keep it to, what, four minutes, three minutes? Three minutes max, I think. Yeah, three yeah. minutes. And, because uh, there'll, be, there'll be a lot and we'll have to get through a lot of content and we yeah. really want to give everyone a chance. What, what about, Mark, for, uh, for this gentleman, Chris? Uh, he's emailed you from Perth and his, his question really struck us. How do I get my ideas off the ground? So he has ideas for inventions and business concepts. It doesn't sound like he has a business yet. C- can he still send it out for a pitch pack? And um, Is that well, a bit that's early? Sort of, I don't think that's a, 
I think that's a pitch. I think he's just asking for a bit of help, uh, a bit of encouragement. So it's my response to him. If he was standing here right now, I'd say, well, okay, give me, give me your inventions, four of your inventions or four of your ideas and give them, put them into four commercial categories. So the first one might be, you know, he's from Perth. So let's call it the new orbital engine. He's now the new Ralph Sarich of uh, Western Australia. And he's got a more efficient engine, for, exa- for argument's sake. Um, so, you know, like, sir, what is, what is your product? What is the market segment that you can take the product into and why? what is unique about it? What's it going to do to that market segment that market segment needs? And in the case of the orbital engine, the uh, hypothesis was that it would reduce petrol costs and all those sorts of things is much more efficient. Um, so, you know, what is your hypothesis around your product in your market segment? And then in order to get his idea off the ground, I would, once he tells me what that is, I would tell him whether or not, well, that sounds like a good idea. To get it off the ground, generally speaking, they need money. So I'd say, well, your idea is is a sound idea. Um, what research have you done on it? Like, have you actually invented it? Or is it just something that's in your head? Because if it's in your head, you better put it down on a piece of paper. And you better, if it's so good, you better get a patent attached to it. And if it's so good, you need to have it tested by a scientist. So there's some friends of mine. In fact, one of my, my sons is involved in this business. They had this idea about making trucks safer by making adjustments to the suspension at the back of the truck. Now, trucks have a terrible um, history of rolling over all the time um, and creating massive danger. And also the, there is an efficiency re- needed to, around the suspension. So um, my son and his uh, friend, what they ended up doing, I said, well, look, the first thing you've got to do is get a scientist to verify what your idea is and actually get this thing drawn up and get it patented, which they've gone and done, and uh, get the, 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 en- the engineers and various engineers to test it. Now you need to go and get it tested practically in the marketplace. So they went down to uh, one of Lindsay Fox's facility in Victoria and they got it tested on trucks and they got tr- truck driver testimonials. Yes, this feels better when it drives. Then they needed to test the actual scientific and engineering um, efficiency of the thing. So they needed to get someone who could test that, an independent person. And then they needed to find someone who wants to adopt this change in the way trucks get built. And it can be an aftermarket addition to the truck or it can be actually embedded in the truck in, in the building process. So they've gone to they've now gone to America to um, find this and they've been doing this for years and years and years now. And it takes a lot of patience, takes a lot of time and they've raised some capital. They have some really good shareholders in it. Um, but it's still they're still chasing this dream. So I would say to the gentleman in Perth, well, that's the sort of process you've got to do, pal. You've got to actually say, what market segment are we going for? Who are the experts around who can endorse what I'm saying? Who's a, an OEM or who's a, a manufacturer who can, you know, use this product and why is it good and how the hell do we get to them? Uh, and then if you've got three more ideas, sir, from Perth, I would say exactly the same thing about the other three ideas. It's got to be more than idea. It's got to be reduced to writing. It's got to be has some intellectual property attached to it. Ask Mark. Tweet Mark with your questions at Mark Boris. M-A-R-K-B-O-U-R-A-S. Okay, Jess, well, we, we got any questions? I know we've got, um, we've got questions. We thousands of questions. We can't answer all of them. Um, pick out one. Okay, well, I, I really like this one. Um, this guy's job hunting at the moment and says he's ambitious, but he's underqualified. So he's wondering what a candidate would have to do to impress you or any boss so much that you would hire them on the spot. Well, I probably if the job has special skills requirements, I, I wouldn't employ them on the spot for that job. But if they were applying for a job with me 
and I realised that they were underqualified for the specific job I wanted, but I actually identified certain characteristics in the individual. I might try and find them a job in the business. And that actually happened to me. My very – my second job ever – so I was working at Gladesville in a small accounting firm and I was still at uni, uni – I was doing my law degree at university and I was – and I just – I'd already just qualified to get my – I just got my accounting degree – so I was studying at night and I actually applied for a job after one year of working in Glazeville, I applied for a job as a tax manager in the city. Now, I wasn't a tax manager. I didn't even know what a tax manager was, to be honest with you. But there was a, I didn't realise there was a hierarchy. You know, you had to go through junior, intermediate, senior, supervisor, the manager. Right? There was some hierarchy you had to go through. It was like a five-year stint. So out of naivety, I applied for the job. Um, now, the guy employed me not as a tax manager because I wasn't qualified, but he liked – what he saw about me. So what did he see from me? He saw, one, I was enthusiastic. Two, um, what I had, what I was skilled at, I was good at. In other words, I wasn't skilled for the job that he was looking for, but I was good at the, I had good skills in what I was good at. So I think you need to be able to articulate those things, whether it's by virtue of showing them a a university report or whether it's an apprenticeship report or whether it's good references from people who, who, you know, who are good referees about your business acumen um, your your studiousness, your um, um, always being punctual, your politeness, your willingness to work, um, you know your your friendliness, your good, you know your ability to communicate and interact within the business environment. Those things are really important. So I guess this guy who employed me saw those things in me and gave me a lesser job because there was actually a role for a lesser job. So sometimes. The individual may not qualify for the job on a pure qualification basis for the job at hand, but they are so outstanding um, and or, or so stand out so much. Our saying is a hard word. They stand out so much. You start to think to yourself, man, I would like to have this person in my organisation. You start to look, what other jobs might I have there for that individual? So that's a pretty powerful um, tool you can use. So, you know, and by the way, they may not be able to find something there and then, but they might remember you. So make sure that somehow you have you continue a conversation with the person you saw. So you might not get the job that's at hand and there may not be another job which they could push you into, but there may be one coming down the track and you want them to remember you. So you keep in contact with them. So you keep the conversation going and it doesn't have to be pushy. It just says, look, you know, hi, Jess, I came for the interview. I know I didn't get the job, but I really like your environment. I love to work in your business for the following reasons. If anything ever comes up, please consider me. And that all of a sudden you start to think, well, this guy or girl's on the front foot. Um, that's the sort of person I want. I mean, we went back to writing, they think like a proprietor. That's what a proprietor thinks like. Mark, what you just said then about, about being uh, able to get along in a group, about being punctual, about being smart, they're all the things that I would have assumed that people bring to an interview anyway. Are you saying that you see people who aren't like that coming to a job interview? They don't have those skills. Well, I'm not necessarily saying I don't see them. I don't see those skills just, but they don't tell me about it. So, you know, like, you know, you're basically trying to sell a message when you go for an interview. Sell yourself. So you've got to learn how to do it. And the process of selling a message is what is my audience or who's my audience, who's the person I'm talking to, and the question is what are they looking for? And therefore, I've got to give them the message. If you walk into the interview and you know you're, and, and you haven't done that analysis, you don't send any message or you might send the wrong message. So it's all about what messages are being sent by you and the messages are in the way you dress, the way you speak, the language, the tone, the speed, the content. And 
and also the enthusiasm and the and, and the theatre that goes around the way you you interact with somebody. So how your body language works, how you express yourself, and then in terms of contents, you know, like who else can endorse what I'm seeing? So that's a reference, personal reference, a business reference. Could be university degrees, could be your HSC results, it could be things like I worked at McDonald's. I actually think if you worked at a store where they worked you, for your, you had to work your ass off and you got $13.50 an hour, um, whilst I'm not really a big fan of McDonald's, um, it doesn't matter. It's a, good, it's a good feather to have in your cap and you should tell me about it. Don't just say, oh, in my business, like I'm in you know, financial services, Oh, I worked at um, CBA. Well, that's important. But by the way, equally, I think, well, you, you know, if you worked at McDonald's when you're 14 or 15 or however, whatever the minimum age is, that tells me you got off your twat and you actually had a go. You might have been doing because you had a family environment where you're helping your family out. And all of a sudden, I think you're, you know, you've got good, you've got good qualities. Um, it's something I actually want to know. So don't be afraid to say, give me a whole working career. Uh, that, that's that's really important because it gives me a full picture. So. Send and sell your message. And I don't mean bullshit about it, but sell and send your message. Looking forward, this is the week ahead. Okay, um, looking ahead next Tuesday night, um, the Treasurer, Joe Hockey, will hand down the federal government's federal budget. I'll be dissecting it for you the next day, um, but I'm going to cut through all the noise and just give you the things I think you need to know. Um, That's the most important bit. Um, I'm off to Singapore later in the day, so I'm going to actually make it short, sharp, and sweet. Um, and then finally, um, I just want to just go over quickly what, as an end off, because um, I want to. You're my audience, and I want to send you the message, the right message. Um, I do want to push this fair go deal type um, face to face interview on my podcast, where it's been, where we're going to actually um, film it. That's really important. Um, I'm going to continue to do that. Um, I. I believe in it, and I want need you to send me um, uh, your questions for MB at um, markboros.com. I need you to um, start to prepare the pitches as I proposed earlier on. Um, I'm happy to get back to you with pitchbacks. It won't happen overnight. It's going to take a couple of weeks for me to get there, but just keep the stuff coming because we will get to it. And finally, next Tuesday night after the budget's been announced, and if you would like me to, uh, to answer, ask me a specific question, you got till 7 a.m. the next morning to send me a tweet with the question and I will attempt to answer those questions that come through. But you need to have it to me 7am before, 7am Wednesday morning. That's after the budget next week and I'll see what I can do to try and get through as many of those as I can. And we'll probably dedicate a lot of the show to the budget. I know it can be pretty boring but um, look, it's just one of the things you have to cover off and we need to know how it affects our businesses going forward. So that's it. I'm going. See you later. This has been the Mark Boris Podcast. You can follow Mark on Twitter at Mark Boris and find out more at markboris.com.au. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.